As we were uh, singing that song, it kind of hit me. Um, it started with that first one. The song of oceans and realizing, well, I don't know, how, let me ask this question. How many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls? Most of you. Some of you aren't admitting it. <laughs> we lived really close there and we never visited much and then we visited more often when we moved away. It's weird, anyway. Um, I don't know how that works. But one time I went in on the boat. Actually, I went twice now. I took the, the big Maid of the Mist, what they, that's what they called it then, and we took this boat into the waves and the mist. If the wind was going the wrong way, it was really hard to see. It was like, because you had these, these garbage bags on that were clear <laughs> with a makeshift hood on. But it reminded me of one of the Psalms that talked about his deep calls to deep. And I was warned about this by Paul Anderson Walsh when he went for the first time. He went in and it, it kind of hit him. And as he began to share that experience, and I hadn't done this yet. So when my turn came, I was thinking of Paul Anderson Walsh's words as deep will call to deep. And I didn't know what that meant, but there was a roar. There was a, a thunderous power coming down over the sides. And I'm getting closer and closer. And there's a maximum we could go in. And I could see, good thing. And, and I, then we saw just the power all around us. It was like this this big U of sound, mist, and everybody standing in awe. Can't take photos because cameras can't, too much, too much stuff going on. But there was something in there that was so powerful that you couldn't experience it until you were right there. And it was like the power called to inside you saying, this is a different power you've not experienced before. When, whoa, you're right, I've not experienced this kind of power before. It was new to me. And that's the power of God. You're going to experience that deep calling to deep. You are deep already. Because Christ deeply lives in you, as you, in you. You're one with God. You're one with Christ. But when something happens externally, and you begin to, um, well, something new happens, an awakening, a, a revelation, whatever you want to call it, there's an awe that comes, whoa, I didn't see that or believe that before. And it's like, God, you're so much bigger and better than I was told. And deep calls to deep. It can happen through music. It can happen through art. It can through happen conversation. It can, through ha it can happen while driving. It can happen anywhere. You can't control when deep Jesus, God, calls you. Because when God calls us, or even teaches us something, what we learn suddenly doesn't become true, which we think sometimes. Oh, that, that's true. Well, it was true before you heard it. And so in you, Christ in you, who is one with your thoughts as well, recognizes truth. And so when you hear it, it, it connects. It, it's joined. You go, yeah, that was God's truth in me. It's going to sound different to each person. But that's, that's what I got out of that song. And then each song built on it. <laughs> I want to say hi to some folks so I don't forget. Cheryl, Art and Cheryl from Waterloo, good morning. John and Brenda, Good morning to you guys in Kitchener. Howard's in Sorrento, BC. Kathy's up watching too. Hello, Kathy. Good to see you. Um, Elizabeth, Norman Elizabeth, watching from St. Jacob's. 
Paul and Debbie in Chatham, good morning. Drew uh, writes from, I don't know how to pronounce it, uh, Trachity, PEI, but they're in PEI having a great time. Uh, Rod, good morning in the virtual house. Rod's in the house. Victoria Wood from Kitchener. Sharon Martin and Ron from Craigleith. And Paula McCarty. So Paula, she's watching from Utah, Park City. Every time I see her name, I think Paul McCartney. He's, Paul McCartney's watching. Cool! <laughs> you never know who's going to tune in. Anyway, just kidding. Thanks, Paula. <laughs> Jim, down in Windsor, good morning. Bev Morgan, good morning, down in Chatham. Sandy in Sautry, UK, I think it's the afternoon for you. Uh, Trudy and James in Kitchener, that's what he wrote. Oh, Kitchener Boo, Kitchener Boo, okay, fine, I can't read all that. Um, uh, Rainy, down in uh, Alabama, good morning to you. Becky and Wayne, watching in Waterloo, Sandy in the UK. Um, Susan Muldoon down in Stony Creek or over in Stony Creek. Alex and Karen from Ottawa, good morning. Rod and Joan, hey, good morning to you guys. Good to see you, and I'm glad you checked in and say hello. That's wonderful. We miss you big time. Uh, John, good morning, John. I'm wondering if you're watching from the cottage, John, John Schaefer. And then Nancy Jenks down in, uh, in uh, Waterloo, about the fourth floor, and Paula McCartney, Paul McCartney laughs, LOL, <laughs> Paula. <Anyway. laughs> All right, very good. Thank you. If you're watching and haven't commented yet, make a comment, and I'll, uh, I'll come back to it at the end of the uh, message if I can remember, because ADHD can kind of, you can forget things. All right. Deep calls to deep. This morning, I'm hoping that will happen to you. I'm really hoping because I have two devotionals. <laughs> you just have one, but I'm gonna, I have two because they're connected. And I'm hoping to make a point today to remind us of some things. That's why I put some of those pictures on from the missions trip. That's why I put the picture on from our old location because there are some dots that have connected that are really important to connect. But before I do that, I forgot to have these. These are the things that made me ponder. So. I'm going to do this a little bit over the summer, just share some memes and thoughts that have caused me to stop and think for just a moment, and uh, maybe I can explain why. Maybe I'll hit you the same way, or you go, I didn't get that out of that. That's fine. Just, you know, this is me. I love this part. When a flashlight grows dim or quits working, you don't throw it away. You change the batteries. Well, when a person messes up and finds themselves in a dark place, do you cast them aside? Of course not. You help them charge their, or change their batteries. Some need a, double A, attention and affection. Some need triple A, uh, attention, affection, and acceptance. Some need C batteries, compassion. Some need D batteries, direction. And if they still don't seem to shine, simply sit with them quietly and share your light. I thought that was good. We tend to write off people too quickly that aren't like us, or that rub us the wrong way. I thought that was pretty good. Next, Tony Campolo, I bumped into him at an airport. Actually, not really, I ran over to him, because <laughs> he wouldn't have come to me. But <laughs> I thought he'd have an entourage, and he didn't. He was by himself, carrying his own luggage. <laughs> but I went over and just told him I really appreciated his ministry and him standing up for people that can't stand up for themselves. So that was really cool. It was an honor. And he went, thank you. So anyway, I have a selfie with him. I asked permission. Can I have a selfie? Okay. Half annoyed, but that's okay. Jesus never says to the poor, come find the church. 
But he says to those of us in the church, go into the world and find the poor, the hungry, the homeless, and the imprisoned. Sometimes we have church backwards. We try and set up things to make us a beacon of light. Remember the lighthouse illustration, which you hear all the time in churches? We're a lighthouse. Well, that's nice. But I'm sorry, a drowning person doesn't go, oh, nice lighthouse. No. <laughs> the life-saving stations along the West Coast or East Coast, they're there for people to look out and see who needs rescuing. And it, they don't need religion. I don't think a lifeguard would ask, do you know Jesus as your personal savior? Just so want to know before I try and save you. Like, you don't do that. This is about humanity, not their beliefs. That's a big thing to ponder right there. Just, that kind of got me going, which led to this one. The disciples wanted a kingdom without a cross. Many would-be Orthodox or conservative Christians in our world have wanted a cross without a kingdom, an abstract atonement that would have nothing to do with this world except provide a means of escaping it, N.T. Wright. This one is powerful if you think it through carefully. It may not hit you right away. But the disciples, they wanted to take over. They thought they were part of a revolution to change the world, and Jesus was going to take over the Romans. But that's not the kingdom Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about the kingdom in us. And unfortunately, some people try and get people into the church or try to be in the church just so they have a place in heaven. It's their life insurance. It's like, wait a minute, that's... The scriptures don't talk about that. They talk about living daily, looking for the needs of others. This is, it's backwards. You know, and then with this idea of escaping, there's this weird concept which I grew up being taught. You know, the whole world's going to get destroyed and Jesus is then going to come back. And boy, if you don't believe Jesus, he's going to torture y'all. And he's going to make this world awful for those that, anyway, you know what I mean. It's, it's all the end time stuff that scares the hell right out of you. You know, I, I prayed that prayer so many times after those scary movies. <laughs> but that's not this is what this is about. We are earth's ambassadors. I'm starting to see that the gospel is the kingdom of Christ in us. And that we are to also not only care for each other, but the earth. And it's a weird shift for me, because I just kind of, I grew up with, nah, you know, God's got it. He's going to destroy it all. It's all going to come back together. So who cares what we do to this earth? In fact, we'll speed up the coming of the kingdom of God. We're going to speed up the second coming of God if we have this whole big world war again. That Literally, people believe that is a huge, huge group of believers that really think that. And I think it's uh, a really awfully misunderstood category of thinking. I, really, I think there are much, much better hope-filled perspectives. So that's where this kind of triggered me. I love this one from Richard Rohr. If love is the soul of Christian existence, it must be at the heart of every other Christian virtue. Thus, for example... Justice without love is legalism. Faith without love is ideology. Hope without love is self-centeredness. Forgiveness without love is self-abasement. Fortitude without love is recklessness. Generosity without love is extravagance. Care without love is mere duty. Fidelity without love is servitude. Every virtue is a, an expression of love. 
No virtue is really a virtue unless it is permeated or informed by love, which means we have to revisit what love is. Some people have mentioned to me, well, you're going to move on to some other topics. You can talk about love, okay? We, we get it. God is love. Got it. Can you move on? No. I can't because it's the root of everything else. And until you realize that you're going to try and make these other topics the foundation, guess what that, guess what that does to your theology? Now you're going to base your theology on those categories, not on love. Love has to win. Love has to be the base. Last one. If any of you are friends with Nadia on uh, Facebook, um, if you don't know who she is, look her up. Brace yourself. You're in for uh, your mind getting opened up a little bit. She's a tattooed minister. She's amazing. Because if, love, if God is love, then God is in the love between us. Well, like that. And if there is not room in the heart of God for Corey, who is a prison inmate, um, then there is not room in the heart of God for me. The minister's response when asked why he was willing to see humanity in someone like Corey. Hmm. I love that one line. God is in the love between us. There is only one love. Just think about that. There's only one real love, one real life, one real light. But this one, see where that hits you. So what do we do with this? How do we live this out every day? Well, here's my first devotional. And this is a heavy one. Love God with all your heart. <laughs> Jesus' primary concern, by the way, this is from Henry Nouwen, if you can't read that. Jesus' primary concern was to be obedient to his Father, to live constantly in his presence, the words abide. Only then did it become clear to him what his task was in his relationships with people. This also is the way he proposes for his apostles. It is to the glory of my Father that you should bear much fruit, and then you'll be my disciples. <clears throat> Does not say you should be fruit, like fruit cake, or just being a like this is a bearing fruit. Perhaps we must continually remind ourselves that the first commandment requiring us to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind is indeed the first. I wonder if we really believe this. It seems that, in fact, we live as if we should give as much of our heart, soul, and mind as possible to our fellow human beings, while trying hard not to forget God. Well, at least we feel that our attention should be divided evenly between God and our neighbor. But Jesus' claim is much more radical. He asks for a single-minded commitment to God and God alone. Do you remember all these people that say, God, make God first in your life? I remember that. Is Jesus first in your life? Is God first in your life? Wait a minute. There is no second. Second doesn't exist. It's kind of cool. God wants all our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. It is the unconditional and unreserved love for God that leads to the care for our neighbor, not as an activity that distracts us from God or competes with our attention to God, 
but as an expression of our love for God who reveals himself to us as the God of all people. It is in God that we find our neighbors and discover our responsibility to them. Responsibility. Ability to respond. We might even say that only in God does our neighbor become a neighbor rather than an infringement upon our autonomy. And that only in and through God does service become possible. We are really good at dualism or separation in the church here in the West. We need to have a church ministry that matches or is better than what our community services do. So it's got God's thumbprint on it. But that's false. That's another division. Why can't we go serve with a community thing and be light there instead of creating yet another category? It becomes a system of judgment. Better than, us, them. Hmm. I, I was kind of taken aback by the word command there. I want to come back to it after this next devotional, so don't let me forget. Um, when it says there's a command we ought to love God with all our soul and mind, I want to come back to that because it's not the threat that we're told it is. Think about that. Jesus spent most of his time with people most Christians wouldn't want in their church. Ouch! Well, it's true. Proclaiming God's love, Henry Nouwen. This one's shorter, don't worry. It seems the closer I come to the poor, this is him writing about his ministry, it seems the closer I come to the poor and broken people of the world, the greater my desire is to speak directly about God and the less I feel impelled to deal with the burning issues of our day. Huh. This doesn't mean that I am not any more interested in these issues. In fact, I'm more interested in them than ever. But somehow the way I enter into these issues has shifted. I love that. Presently, I'm very much involved in the lives of persons with disabilities, and I am becoming more and more involved in the struggles of people who have AIDS, as well as people who live with great inner anguish and pain. Somehow, these people are calling me to be more and more God-centered and seem to ask me less to help them solve their problems than to reveal to them God's immense and intimate love for them. You can't express God's love until you know it. And you may only know a fraction of it. Good. That fraction, that small little bit is what you show. You share the capacity that you are aware of. That's how we live. We see other people doing all kinds of stuff. Oh, I want to do that. And you see great love in them. Oh, I want that. Wait a minute. You have it in you. you. You're not called to mimic someone else at all. Now it becomes your personal direction. And you can't project on somebody else. They ought to help you with this. You ought to be doing this. We've had people come to the church. Well, do you have a, this program for this? And me and I want this and this and this. And we, we haven't got a list of stuff like other churches might. We can't do that. Expectations are not fair. That's why we tell you not to bring any when you come. <laughs> yeah, it's easier to not let you down. But here we do offer the journey into love. What does it mean? Unpack some misunderstandings so we can clear the clutter and see more clearly. 
It's like having two puzzles mixed in one box. One's religion, one's love. And having to sort. Each draws a similar picture, but it takes time to see the difference. But when you see the difference, you go, oh my goodness. Jesus did not come to bring a religion. He came to bring life and love. So how do we live this out? Commands versus laws. Oh good, I thought I put something up there. I wasn't sure. The people Jesus was speaking to, what's one thing they knew really well? What did the Jews really know well? The system of what? Law! Oh yeah! They were good at it. Paul was a pro. He was going to be like the, an amazing law caretaker and inflict justice and rule of law. They were, the, Jesus knew that. So when these commands are being asked, they're asking for commands. What's the difference between a command and a law? Oh, there's a huge difference. Do not mix these up. A law has a punishment attached to it or a serious consequence attached to it. You break the law, it's clear what will happen to you. And it's funny how we are selective in how we read the scriptures. <laughs> Old covenant, new covenant. We'll get into that another time, probably this fall. But this law of love. So I think Jesus, when he was speaking, he knew they were looking for a rule, a law. Give me something. Because it's easier to look at a list, follow a to-do list, than it is to look at people and be sensitive to their needs. It's easier to have a list, a written code. But that's not how we're created. That was never God's intent. And so I have a hunch Jesus, being gracious, gave them a command. By the way, the command is for your benefit. It sounds really... Strict. It sounds like a law because we're used to that language with the military or police, the commanding officer. You know what I mean? Like, and you're getting deep doo doo if you don't obey the command of the you know, all that stuff. But that's not what's going on here. The command to love God is here. This is how to live. It's not that you have to. So, in, in religion, we tell people you must love God, and then you judge them for how poorly they do it, which it's not your business anyway. It's never been the church's job to judge people for how they love God. None of your business. It's for you. As a benefit, an overflow, as you know the love of God, you're going to let the love of God come out of you. So the command is for your benefit. There's lots of commands in the New Testament. They're, some of them are really they're wise. And some of them were specific to the people that he was speaking to. But this command of love... Fine, if you need a, a, a command or a law, I'll give you a command instead because you're going to find out soon you get to live from the heart. I believe that's a possible thought Jesus may have had. Either way, that's the difference. Ulterior motives. Ulterior motives will force us to control how others think and believe. There's no freedom in that, no love. So when we have commands and want people to follow them, there's an ulterior motive to be like us conform to us. Jesus is asking us to abide in him, just like he abided in the Father. There's love in that. But when we have control of ulterior motives and we, have a, we want people to act a certain way and blah, 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 hang on. Who put that obligation there? Not Jesus. As soon as you do that, 
you have a bubble that will burst at some point. Instead, love will let us begin to have the conversations. There is freedom in true love, in agape. Love is the foundation for all this stuff. The more I kind of cover topics, whether it's hell, end times, or atonement, whatever, we can argue about all the little categories and subcategories, and that's fun. It is fun for some. Others of you go, I don't hate that stuff. That's fine. But love is the issue. I have many people call and ask, what's your take on this? How does your church believe on this topic? Those are trick questions because, let me just circle this, usually that's the motive for the question, to find how closely we or me align with their existing beliefs, do I fit? And I do not want to answer that because I would rather redirect to love and say, our goal here, and we've not arrived by the way, our goal is to learn to be loving people and practice loving. We're gonna mess up and hopefully we have enough of a relationship that there's forgiveness for screw-ups and continual forgiveness. But ulterior motives, expectations put on to others, you can't do that. If you're frustrated, usually it's your expectations that you created. And don't you dare put that responsibility on anybody else, ever. It's not fair. Since we are not trying to get Christ in us, how then can we let him out? <laughs> uh, I used to say for years, you know, Christ is in you and he wants out. <laughs> you know, and it's true. But unfortunately, most people don't believe Christ lives in them still. This is a topic that we constantly have to re- cover. We have to cover it many times, and, and from different ways, different lenses. But Christ lives in us. How can we live out grace every day? How do we let Jesus live his life in and through us? Guess what the answer is? Learn the love of God. And I think, I don't, how do I say this carefully? I think many of us still have much to learn and believe that God loves us. I really do. I think there's parts of ourselves we don't like, we're embarrassed about, whatever. God can't possibly like that, so I've got to clean that up before I go have my time with God. All that silly religious stuff we grew up with. But to know we're beloved and then be loved, let Jesus love us, as that permeates in, Whatever comes out is controlled by who? Jesus. Not a system, not a people, not a pastor, not a church. Jesus just lives. And that's what makes this community a little different. Because we're trying to learn Jesus is our trier. <laughs> not the Yoda. There's no try, just do. You know, not like that. I'm talking about the trying, the the practicing of the presence, the practicing the presence of Christ in us out. There's still room for that language. 
I had old language before, then I discovered, I'll use the word, the basics of grace, which gave me new terminology, but that became a new law, in a sense, new terms that everything had to be filtered through. And so if it didn't sound like those terms, it wasn't real grace. And it's like, wow, I didn't realize there was a new separation, a new division, a new category. And if you're looking for more, then you go switch to the next group, and you find new language terminology, and if you use that only as your filter, suddenly you've created another us versus them. Good intentions, but the more we have us versus them, and I I caught it this week when I was speaking to some younger individuals than me, we were talking about entitlement and being woke. How many have heard the term being woke? Stupid word. And I'll tell you why. This is why I think it's stupid. And if you like the word, let me show you why I don't like it. Maybe you'll see what I mean. I don't like it for this reason. It's another us versus them. That's all it is. Well, I'm woke, and you're not. See? Me, them, us, them. Because we're so good at reading their minds. If it's only Jesus that we submit to and love, then all these terms kind of lose their power because we love to judge. That's our world. Our world needs judgment for power and control. But when that power is gone and we're just left with love, that power is more powerful than anything we ever dreamed of. And nobody can put an expectation on that. Well, you don't love me because you're not doing this. Ouch. Ooh. That's an expectation that is false. It may still express a meaningful hurt, but you can't project that on anyone. All right, time to start my message. (sighs) Just like last week. (laughs) Shoot. N.T. Wright writes, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, Look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama, which has him as the central character. Heavenly Father, wake us up, not in the cultural woke terms, but wake us up internally to the awareness, first of all, of your presence, to the awareness that your love is in us, to the awareness you love us, and whatever's causing us to not believe that, will you remove those things ever so gently? May we learn to be loved so that our lives will be lived in a loving way. Begin with me. I have a lot of perfecting to do in that area. May your peace guide our hearts and minds. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.